0: Org. Enjoy. Hi, um, I'm Malin Arvidsson, and I'm a senior lecturer at Child Studies at Linköping University in Sweden. And uh, today I'll have an online conversation with Cecilia Berre. Uh Welcome. Thank you, Malin. Thank you for joining me here today. And um I'd um, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself actually.
1: <laughs> yes. So I'm Cecilia Pierre. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Southern Denmark. Um and my sort of main area of expertise is uh, uh the history of the Danish welfare state with, you know, special attention to to child welfare services.
0: Yeah. And then we'll discuss today your a book based on your phd thesis that's in danish and um yeah could you could you pronounce the title yourself because <laughs> yes
1: of course uh so the title of my my dissertation is no staten far og mor børneværnets børn i danmark 1905 1975 and i guess it would roughly translate into something like when the state is is father and mother, out of home placement of children in Denmark from 1905 to 1975.
0: So, yeah. Right. Thank you. Um, and so this book is available from the University of Southern Denmark. And uh, I've understood also that some of the results have been published in English, right? Yes. So this article called Making Policies, the History of the Danish Child Welfare System at the Local Level. And I think that kind of captures a lot of what you're saying in, in the book as well. Um, but I'm curious to know why did you want to write this book to begin with? Because, I mean, in the introduction, you begin with describing some contemporary political debates over out of home mm-hmm. placements of children. At the time you published the book, but what sparked your interest when you started the project?
1: Right. Were there some similar debates going on? Or, um, so. I was actually writing my master thesis uh, on child custody cases. Um, And uh, to my surprise, I found that many of these cases uh, were Parents really could not uh, find a, a solution. Um, sometimes they, uh, the authorities just went in, and this was these ch- children's welfare boards that we'll discuss in a in a second, I'm sure. Uh, and they d- just decided to to uh, place out the child. Uh, the child, and I was a bit surprised because they couldn't find any sort of uh, arguments about why the child was not safe I- in its home. But it was more about the moral uh, characteristics of. The, because the parents were trying to accuse each other of not uh, being sort of morally capable of, of taking care of their, their children. So it was more about their moral character. Mm. So I was surprised uh, to find this. And uh, and of course, these were mostly working class uh, families. Um, and then I didn't really understand what type of institution these children welfare boards uh, were and so I wanted to know more about that and their history. So that was what sort of sparked my interest. But then, as you say, there there are a lot of political debates about this area in Denmark and uh, in the Nordics in general. Um, and I was also just uh, interested because the politician, you know, continuously proclaimed that now they're going to reform this area mm. and now they're going to make some radical changes but these changes never seem to sort of trickle down the system so so that's why i wanted to to uh investigate uh the local level mm.
0: um, yeah and you and you really do find a striking continuity in some respects also mm-hmm.
1: over this very long
0: time period that you're covering 1905 to 1975 um but i think Maybe we need some background about, you mentioned uh, the children's welfare boards and and how were they organized and how do they differ from juvenile courts that were deciding on the taking into custody of children in other countries. So what's special with this kind of Nordic model?
1: Yes. So, um, so, yes, we do sort of call it the Nordic model uh, this, uh, with these Child Welfare Acts. So Norway was the first with a Child Welfare Act in 1896. Then Sweden followed in 1902 and then Denmark in 1905 with the first uh, Child Welfare Act. Um, and so the difference is yes, that, yes, we did not introduce juvenile court systems, Um, But instead, it was uh, more uh, private citizens uh, who were uh, elected into these uh, local uh, children's welfare board. Uh, In in the beginning in Denmark, you were uh, sort of appointed. uh, It was the local parish priest, uh, a doctor, teachers, um, and also women were, uh, you know, preferably there should be a woman present in the board because it was about uh, children, right? So they were... (laughs) of course, qualified Mm -hmm. (laughs) the maternalism idea uh, of the time. And then later on, it was not based on qualification, but just sort of the good citizens uh, who were elected by the uh, municipal board. Um, And that's why I call it sort of a difficult to classify hybrid institution, because it was something that was placed in a municipal structure. Um, but it was still private uh, citizens performing and carrying out uh, state policies. Um, so uh, there was these uh, ideas about labor of love, but they had to be regulated by state policy. And and this was a continuous uh, uh, conflict that, that I'm also writing about in this institution's 70 years history. Mm. And I think also comparably, uh, if you look internationally, you also find similar boards in different places but not many survive until 1975 so that's also an interesting um, aspect.
0: Yeah, that's what set Denmark's system apart a little bit, mm-hmm. although mm-hmm. there are similar thoughts um, in other countries. Okay, so yeah, you really focus on the on the practice of social work uh, and you're inspired by Michael Lipsky's notion of street-level bureaucrats um, so you've given us the, the kind of a basic structure of how, how the the system worked, but how was um, a child protection case built up and handled? If you could speak to that a little bit more in detail.
1: Right. So um, the purpose of the child, first Child Welfare Act was both to sort of take care of children who... Um, uh, was neglected at home, but also children who were misbehaving. So we have like two main categories of children. Uh, so um, depending on which category we are talking about, the, the case could start from different uh, sort of, they had different entry points. So the, the so-called misbehaving children, uh, that could start uh, um, from the police, being a police investigation if a child had done something a bit, you know criminal mis- misdemeanor uh, stuff, and then it could mm. be a, a start with a p- police investigation, and then it would uh, turn up at the at the table at the children's welfare board, um, and then they would uh, begin their own investigation. Uh, so that could be one start, uh, and and in these police uh, reports, that's sort of the only way play, place where you actually sort of. Get the children's, uh, the child's perspective or the child's voice mm, uh, in in the sources, right? But but of course mediated through uh, the the uh, the police and also uh, with the police, uh, you know, questionings, uh, etc. So so that's of course something to 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 keep in mind. And the other one would be uh, uh, sort of. Uh, anonymous letters from neighbors or from teachers saying we're concerned about this and that and and that would uh, also initiate an invest investigation so the first part of of the 20th century usually they would uh, perform a house or home visit Mm. and and sort of inspect the interior uh inspect clothing inspect um and how uh sleeping arrangements were um so all sort of sort of practical um and something that you could actually see with your own eyes that was uh, a very sort of important part of this first investigation and then the second uh part of the the process would be would be that they they would call in parents to to um to to give a hearing and 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 then they would be able to sort of give their own say in, in the matter. Uh, but because this was a, a weird <laughs> institution, um, most of the time, th- these sort of meanings would take place in in the uh, local town hall, for example, or in the local school. But some places, and we have to, rem- to think that it, even though Denmark is a small country, we did have a lot of municipalities uh, in, in, the be- in the beginning of, of the, the 20th century. So I think in 1905, we had uh, more than um, 1,400 uh, mm. municipalities. So some of these were very small and very rural areas. Um, so they did not necessarily have any sort of public <laughs> spaces for them to use. So sometimes these meetings could actually take place uh, at the uh, at one of the committee members' um, private homes. So you oh. have to imagine that as as a family to actually have to enter private home, where a decision on uh, some, you know, very intimate family matters uh, was about to take place. Yeah, um, I could really relate to that.
0: I grew up in a very small village and yes. and I wouldn't want, you know,
1: my family matters be discussed <laughs> in my right. neighbor's home. And, and, but, and, yeah. and, and, and several times you also see guidelines from sort of central government about uh, that these issues were not to be discussed it, it should not be part of gossip mm. you know uh, town gossip or it should not be reported in the next day's newspapers <laughs> so this uh, uh, division between what's private what's public and when are you an authority and when are you a private person obviously that was sometimes difficult for for these members uh, of the board to actually make these distinctions um mm. But probably also for the families involved. Um, mm-hmm. Like, when is this your <laughs> someone from town and your neighbor, perhaps? Uh, and when when, I, when are they wearing a different hat? Uh, that must have been a bit confusing.
0: Yeah, and you can really sense that from some of the examples that you that you're giving um, of this very. Um, yeah, delicate task. Yes. Um, yes, definitely. That people were trusted with. So yeah. and, but, and you've collected sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I was just uh, just to finish off. So so the decision would often be made at this meeting. Uh so the process would actually be pretty for the most part pretty short. Uh just from the beginning of the case until the decision, it would be perhaps a matter of weeks. Okay. So so it was a rather sort of expedient <laughs> mm. process for the mo- for the most part. Um mm. and then Of course, during the sort of 70 years, uh, a lot of things change. Uh, I think one of the most important one was that the home visit sort of disappears. Uh, So it's no longer regarded as something as important uh, Mm -hmm. as before. And instead, uh, many children are being sent to a psychologist to find out what's going on in the family. So now it's no longer seen as something we can discover by entering the house. Uh, or the home, and uh, now it's something we we need to sort of access the child's inner life mm. by uh, sending it to a psychologist or a psychiatrist to find out is this a place uh, for the child to 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 stay? Mm. And and roughly when did this shift happen? Uh, roughly from the nineteen fifties and onwards, um, you you see fewer uh, of these home visits.
0: I see, and and I guess also there was a yeah. Um, urbanization going on and changing definitely st- structures at the local yep. level. Yeah. Uh, so you've looked at um, three different places uh, and two hundred and twenty five cases. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, and I guess something that's very particular with Denmark is that Copenhagen, the capital, is so dominating. But you've also then looked at a smaller city yeah. and and uh, a more rural area. Yeah. And and what differences and similarities have you seen <laughs> both when it comes to maybe the preconditions for social work but also regarding which children and parents that interacted with the children's welfare boards how mm-hmm. yeah how, how did this differ
1: yes um so there's the very sort of obvious center periphery <laughs> yeah issue and that is very sort of clear so especially in the rural area perhaps they had you know some of them their statistics is like they had one out of home placement in 5 years um and and perhaps you were uh, in this board for for 4 years uh and you might be sort of continue to be on the board but you might also just uh stop your work so it was very hard to actually accumulate knowledge, knowledge. and experience mm. about these matters mm. um and that's why we see that a lot of you know, uh, the out of home uh, placements case, cases from rural areas uh, are being sent back and forth between because they don't live up to sort of the procedures. They don't have the documents that you need. Uh, so there were always some documents that needed to be filled out in every sort of standard documents uh, that needed to be filled out in every uh, out of home placement cases. And they, did not do that, and and so there was a lot of sort of extra work uh, with that, and also just because the rural areas usually did not have any sort of backup from, um, um, yeah, from the municipality uh, as such because it was such a small mm. uh, place. Um, but so of, not a uh, lot of clerks. Uh, no, exactly, exactly, yeah. and then of course uh, in the cities, a uh, you can, I mean overall you can say that uh, the representation from you know families with working class backgrounds is is high uh you know if for the whole country but of course it's really it really stands out um in the in the city areas um, and single mothers of course also a highly sort of <laughs> represented categories <clears throat> excuse me in in these um in these statistics so um Copenhagen is just sort of the the place where it's it happens. I think it's around 40% of all placements in almost the whole period comes from Copenhagen. Um, and especially in the beginning, it was really something that was considered a city problem that all the modern city life, uh, was uh, a challenge to, Mm. uh, childhood, right? So, so this child welfare act also came out of, uh, you know, um, in, in Denmark, we had a you know, a rather late industrialization. So the urbanization, et cetera, was a bit uh, slower. Um, but this is really the period where a lot of families are moving into the cities, working at factories, uh, children working at factories. So all these issues also speak into sort of what was um, sort of the problem that this uh, Child Welfare Act was supposed to solve. And 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 many of these problems was that, that both parents were working, uh, and that children were running around in the streets, uh, sort of becoming uh, criminal was was sort of the idea, right? That because they were not receiving the proper moral education as, you know, traditional family life uh, as was romanticized in the in the sort of rural communities.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think some of this there's similar arguments around yes. in many in many industrializing cities definitely yeah and uh, I mean it's interesting that you mentioned uh, that um, the urbanization and the industrialization uh, in Denmark was quite late it was still a bit earlier than Sweden in some (laughs) (laughs) respects so um, I've been looking at young women and uh, girls traveling from southern Sweden to work in (laughs) Copenhagen and and Mm. it was really seen as a problem and there was efforts to stop this migration because Copenhagen was seen as the sin <laughs> <laughs> sinful city. So so yeah that's that that was ideas that were there also
1: in uh, Yeah resonating pressed,
0: yeah. Uh, in, in the Swedish debate. Yeah. So I'm quite fascinated by how you've gone about the often quite scattered uh, archival material you've been collecting uh and you know, looking for missing pieces, and you also discuss what's been saved, what's been missing uh, in a way that gives, of course, credibility to your own results. But I I also imagine that it could function like a sort of guide for someone who is tracing his or her own family history. Um, And I also like that you have what I see as a sound skepticism towards quantifying based on this material. Mm. because there's some gaps and some um, lacking uh, acts. Um, But you focus instead on identifying competing logics in social work with children instead of, you know, stating based on these (laughs) 225 cases, I can say this or that. You focus on the logics and you constantly remind the reader of the institutional setting in which the source material is produced building for example on uh, Dorothy Smith's concept of active documents Mm -hmm. so I think that's something that you know we can learn from and would you like to share any methodological insights about this approach and how you you know came to to regard these (laughs) these sources as active documents yes
1: all right so I'll start by talking a bit about the sort of the the archival situation, situation. yes yeah. so as you said i have i have like three uh Localities in in the um, so Copenhagen and then uh, a city and then a rural area in Denmark. So I had to use the local archives of the different places, um, and I experienced sort of a great variations. uh bet- you know how had they been uh, recorded? How had they been also safeguarded for for the future? So in Copenhagen, whereas I just said, we see the highest number of uh, out of home placements. Uh, unfortunately, they have discarded a lot of uh, of this material, so only safeguarding some so-called representative cases. Whatever what that means. So that that's of course a huge problem for me as a historian. Of course, even uh, a. a, a yeah, a more heart, heartbreaking a problem for, for care leavers who may not be able to, to, to find their own case uh, record uh, and trying perhaps to to sort of figure out what happened during my uh, placement. Um, so this is of course a, a, a big issue. And then because of the whole structure of placements in Denmark, so you had the municipality uh, uh, structure where the decision was make, made uh, about the placement, but then uh, Oftentimes, uh, children were sent to children's institutions. That was the, the, you know, great majority of children were sent into children's Mm -hmm. institutions. So they would also keep some records. And oftentimes during your whole placement, you would not stay in one institution, but several. Uh, So that means the, the case files can be scattered around many institutional archives, some private. So they may have not been kept either. We also have uh many stories about um um institutions actually burning some of these documents yeah, as well yes yeah yes um so 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 they can be very hard to trace so that's one sort of uh difficulty what are you actually having uh what what is what is sort of the representation of the the saved uh uh archival um uh, material and that's a very very difficult question to ask when you just you can just see, okay, there's not as many as there should be uh, mm. if if we look at uh, how many children were placed out. Um, so, so of course that's one thing. And then the individual case record can also be very different. So some have more than 200 uh, documents in, in one case record and others have perhaps two documents. And it's not always easy to actually figure out how come there are only like two documents in this in this case file. So that's of course a challenge when you try to compare case records, and then when you try to compare them over time. Mm. Um, so that's why I have to be very hesitant doing that. Um, <clears throat> and then the reason why I'm so, so one thing is, uh, I'm hesitant using my own case records uh, to actually do anything, you know, quantitative, quantitative yeah. uh, sort of analysis with that, but, but also when I actually look at what had um, been reported into the central government, who made statistic based on these documents, and this is where I use Dorothy Smith and her idea about active documents, um, because uh, well, they had to fill out all these standard um, documents in every uh, uh, out-of-home place, um, placement case, um, and these would be just uh, individual information, so stating the child's name, the parents, their um, uh, work uh, status, uh, their um, marital status, all these sort of basic information. Um, but they could also be about the child's character, uh, the child's uh, behavior in school. So all sorts of information it changes a bit over time. Um, but uh, in the, f- the first standard document, one of the c- questions was, um, um, what's the reason for this uh, out-of-home placement? Um, uh, and then in sort of parenthesis uh, it was said stated that um uh, from the uh, parents uh sort of side mm. so many actually just wrote no okay uh, yep yeah, and that that's because they sort of misinterpreted the question so they were just saying okay so no this is not because of the parents it's not the, the fault of the parents that this child is is um Placed out, and sometimes these were the only documents that they actually based um, the <laughs> statistics decision. on. So how are they gonna mm. <laughs> do anything about this? Um, mm. um, so, so what I'm saying is that that all these questions about uh, parents' morals, uh, the the child's character, of course, it influences uh, the the children welfare boards and what they're going about and what types of information they're trying to uh, collect. But on the other hand if sometimes if if it doesn't make any sense then they would sort of renegotiate it mm. uh, and we see this with uh, a sort of description of of the home later on when they start saying no this the home is fine but it's it's we are talking about other issues um than than what what the home looks like so so the practice may be changed before the, the yeah very <laughs> yeah so documents. sometimes you can actually see that conflict uh, in in these standard documents mm.
0: Very interesting and useful i think to 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 work with um when i've been reading uh um, oh, i'm sorry i read i read your book in like a very intense read <laughs> because it was very interesting um and as a swedish reader um i constantly find myself making comparisons of course mm-hmm. with the swedish context and We've been discussing you know the many similarities among the nordic states and you know mm-hmm. that we're all expanding welfare states and had similar welfare boards for children um but from your book i've also learned about some differences uh for example yeah and maybe the most striking example is the differences regarding the use of foster care um in denmark and sweden and yeah wh- how do you how would you explain that or Mm. Is that beyond uh, the scope of your study?
1: Well, I think I think there could be done more about making Nordic comparisons. There are already some, you know, we had these Nordic conferences uh, mm-hmm. during this time period. So where practitioners visited each other and each other's institutions and there were discussion about uh, new legislation also across the Nordic uh, countries. So I do think they... Um, and it, that has been shown in, in earlier research as well, that, that there, there was a lot of uh, sort of uh, uh, diffusion of ideas between the Nordic uh, countries, yeah. but still, so even though just, uh, and also internationally, definitely then uh, the Nordic countries do look very similar, but but you're all right that there are some, some important uh, variations. And, and I think one thing is legislation, but again, if we look at the practical level, uh, we could find even more variations uh, and also how the work was structured. So as I understand it in the Swedish case, it's the, the Children's Welfare Board were more closely linked to schools and, and the poor uh, system, whereas it was different uh, in, in Denmark and Norway. And Denmark and Norway also had, well, Denmark had a central uh, institution in the beginning at least um, yeah. to, to supervise uh, the whole um Institution, but it actually became uh, more and more decentralised over over time. Um, but yes, so I think that there could be some uh, some more work done in in that area to to understand. One thing is the diffusion of ideas when we make legislation and new new policy. But but what are what happened on the on the practical level and how were some of these uh, uh, ideas translated differently in 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 into practice.
0: Hmm. Yeah, which really shows the importance of looking at the local level and the practical uh, side of things. Um, And when doing that, you've also shown um, uh, like a, yeah, I I don't know if it's a difference between Sweden and Denmark or if it's a matter of like how you study things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you've you've, uh, looked uh, at... The possibility for parents to act, and you go into dialogue with a study about how previous a previous study about how Swedish parents have tried to get their children back once they were placed in care, and and in that study the the powerlessness of parents is really stressed, but you're giving us a, a another picture um showing that there actually was some kind of room of maneuver for the for the parents, and and would you like to? Explain why that was. Yeah.
1: yeah, and of course it could be interesting to see if if we made the same uh, analysis in Sweden because I, I looked at a different level uh, than than the study that you're referring to. So I think if we looked at the same level, so yes. the actual appeal board, uh, sort of the national appeal board, where you could uh, try to 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 win back your children. They had very sort of low, uh, I don't know if success rate is, is the right word, but but I think that the story would, would be quite similar to the Swedish one. If you were looking at comparable material in the Danish it's, case. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, but what I did was just looking at the informal uh, requests from parents to the local children's welfare boards. So there was no procedure to this. It was not supposed to be a thing, <laughs> but from the... I think it's really from the 50s and onward it starts to sort of take off, and and children, uh, sorry, excuse me, parents are trying to to uh, have different arguments to take back the children. So this is a bit before we actually have uh, in in the legislation um, something about temporary placement, so that the idea mm. that you shouldn't be placed out for for life or at least until you're. Um, uh, 18, um, but that perhaps it could be temporary. So, so again, again, practice is actually before legislation, and 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 this is just a an example of parents trying to use the institution to their own advantage and going outside of what was supposed to be uh, their sort of, uh, yeah, beyond the scope of of their work. Um, but of course, it was also very difficult because, as I said, there was no procedure; it was not supposed to happen really so as I show parents could get their children back if the child was behaving well in the institution or if it was misbehaving and so there is no you know no you real can, logic to it no and it was it must have been very hard to navigate in that uh, because yeah it was um, very depending on who you're talking to at what point in time yeah um Yes. So, but this is where we sort of also see a different way of sort of using uh, the system. And another example is that uh, also mothers are starting to actually uh, ask for their children placed out for a, you know, a short uh, period, perhaps if they have uh, to go uh, undergo surgery or something like that. And so this is also a different use of the Children's Welfare Board than what was intended. Um, Yeah. Uh, and so many, you know, succeeds in doing this and then also just having them placed out for a couple of weeks or oh, what is uh, necessary. But of course it is with some risk involved because you could, re- you know, risk that that uh, the Children's Welfare Board uh, would not just uh, return the child. So I do also have examples of that. Yeah, uh, but
0: it, it is really interesting that this kind of low level of regulation that it opened for this kind of you know initiatives from parents as you as you mentioned just mm-hmm. to phone the, the per- person in the board yep. or to show yep. up at the yep. <laughs> at the office or or at somebody's house, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, of course, it would be difficult to navigate if you were not a very resourceful, strong yeah. person, but, but if you were a person who, who took this kind of initiative, you could actually be successful, which is, yeah. I guess, different from if it w- would have been highly regulated and, and, you know, if you would need a lawyer to, exactly. to, to, to yeah. speak for you and so on, so... Super interesting, and I think more can be done here. <laughs> and and I guess this kind of whole discussion about the role of parents and how they were using also uh, institutions um for their own purposes and so on um has been discussed in the in the literature before. And you know, regarding this or other things, mm-hmm. what do you think is the the main contribution of of your book? What can you see when you when you? look at these issues from, from your point of view, <laughs> and right. from this, your material.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. So I, because what you just, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to answer you, but uh, just yeah. to, to sort of follow up on, on that. I, I, I I wanted to have the, the voices of the parents and the children in this story as well, and having them as, um, you know, and as actors as well, because they are part of, of this process. And this was also a way to go about that. Um, but um but but trying to answer your question i I think what i've I've shown is that it that uh, the children's welfare board was a, a a really important welfare institution in that they were the interpretators the mediators um uh, of you know state policy and and they were also sort of the link between sort of government and, and citizen in in these cases so it is really a, an important institution to to um to investigate. And and then I, I think what I also showed was that um, because they were born out of this idea about uh, sort of charitable child savers but put into a municipal structure uh, regulated by state policy, they were sort of <laughs> uh, born to be in conflict. Uh, so mm. they continuously tried to do this labor of work Uh, Labor of love sorry and uh, but we're constantly met with standardization professionalization you know requirements of that and could not could never live up to it Mm. Um, and I think this is an interesting dilemma that's uh, uh, is still a continuous sort of paradox in social work that we uh, and in the child welfare services in general that we want labor of love but we also want uh, people being met uh, sort of uniformly and and that there's not any discrimination um but but sometimes these uh, ideas about standardization professionalism and and labor of love they really clash and and there's been different emphasis put on these um throughout uh, the period
0: which you can see with a very long time period that you (laughs) have been been looking at and yeah i'm amazed by all all of the work you've done and i'm i'm um, also curious to know what you're doing right now Uh, do you have any ongoing related project or have you gone on to to do something very different or
1: um actually i i i'm hoping to to embark on a new project but 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 the idea to this project actually also came out of this one Uh, okay so it's about paternity and establishing paternity uh in the nordics and And I was um, sort of stunned to find in one of my child welfare records um, a list of seven fathers uh, paying full child support to to one child. Right. Really? Uh, Yes. And I'm not that good with, you know, biology. But as I understand it, you cannot have seven seven fathers. But I found out that they were uh, all being sentenced to pay this full child support because because of a a blood type test. And a blood type test can be used to sort of rule out an impossible father. So so he would never be able to be a father, but you can have indeed many possible fathers. Um, So I was amazed by this practice that uh, because the Nordic welfare state has been very sort of keen on not having irresponsible, non-paying fathers, um, that they've used different types of technologies to, to make sure that uh, a child born out uh, you know, outside of wedlock not becoming an, a burden on, on the state. Um, but to my surprise, there's been big variation between the Nordic countries as well, where Denmark and Norway seem to have been followed sort of similar paths, whereas Sweden and Finland seem to have sort of um, put more highlight on men's rights, so not sentencing multiple Fathers, and you know, men to to pay uh, full child support. Hmm. That's so, yes, fascinating. I, I'm yes. <laughs> and I'm very puzzled about this whole thing. So, so this is what I'm I want to to dig into and find out more.
0: Okay, so we're gonna have to stay tuned, <laughs> yes. so to speak, and follow your research. Um, do you have anything you want to add or a last insight from this work, or are you happy with the
1: Yes, I think, I'm, I'm, I am mean, I could continue to talk uh, for a long time, but I, I think we should <laughs> probably stop me now while you can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you so much for, for joining us today and uh, good luck with your future work. Thank you. And thank you for hosting this, Malin. Thanks.